In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the season of confessions. First confessions began yesterday morning when the first wave of second graders came to the confessionals. As you can imagine, they were sweet and beautiful and sincere. It was lovely. If it turns out to be like other years, we soon can look forward to hearing high-pitched confessions that begin with, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. This is my second confession. And bless me, Father, for I have sinned. This is my third confession. They're very eager um, to, um, to keep track. Um, don't correct them, though. Not, not for a while. In fact, the most frequent uh, confession infraction is the, the little ones who come in and immediately they just want to say the act of contrition because they're so proud of having memorized it and they're eager to, to do it. They're, and they're totally, obviously, focused on that more than almost anything else. And I certainly don't correct them. I'll let that go. You know, it's a little, it can be a little jarring to be corrected in, um, in the confession line in the same way that, uh, you know, in, in the Holy Communion line, when something unexpected happens, it's, it, it can be jarring for all people involved. So, um, so I won't correct their <clears throat> methodology, as it were, in the confessional for, for a while, for, you know, a few months or maybe a few years. It's just to, um, leave them be. So, um, certainly it's something that, that brings great joy to the angels and saints. Um, to see the little ones come because they're not just, obviously, they're not just there to show off. They're there because um, they so so easily um, um, and so uh, sincerely feel not just the relief of having gotten, gotten something off their chest. <clears throat> gotten is a bad word, I realize. I apologize. I'll go to confession. Um, but they know that they have... Um, been healed, right? They feel so um, so easily that uh, what's been damaged has been repaired, and it can be so often the case when um, one has only the the light sins of a child. As you know, as you get older, um, it's different. What we've with the damage we've done, it isn't just simply erased by having been absolved. Um, whether it be the damage we've done to our soul or the damage to others. And um, uh, we'll come back to that, actually. So in this season of confessions, we've also heard several apologies from our governor. Um, now, you know full well that he did not apologize for supporting publicly a bill that would legalize the killing of newborn babies. You probably heard the recent radio interview in which he spoke favorably about the bill from a Fairfax delegate who acknowledged in her own testimony that the bill would permit an abortion even when a mother is giving birth. So on the air, the governor said this, quote, in this particular example, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly what would happen. The infant would be delivered. The infant would be kept comfortable. 
The infant would be resuscitated if that's what the mother and the family desired, and then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother, unquote. The governor, who is a physician, is describing infanticide. Simply horribly reprehensible. A feature of ancient Greece, ancient Rome perhaps, a symptom of their needing to be conquered by Christianity, like the Aztecs and the Maya and the Inca. In a week when we are reminded again of how easily it can be for someone in public life to be expelled from polite society, to be run out of their occupation, one would think, not even among Christians, but among polite human beings, that publicly advocating the killing of newborn babies would certainly result in someone being immediately expelled from polite society. Every other week or so, it happens again to another person. Something they've done, egregiously wrong or not, results in their being deprived of their livelihood, their good name, deprived of their... um, place among civilized people. After having a few days to think about it, did the governor apologize? No, he didn't, as you know. Wednesday, he sent the message, quote, I have devoted my life to caring for children in any insinuation otherwise is shameful and disgusting, unquote. This typical assertion of personal holiness has become common among public figures because it, it, well, it tends to work. It forces his critics to say, no, you are lying. No, you have not actually dedicated your whole life to helping children because right now you're helping people kill their children. The next day, Thursday, a group of Virginia politicians reiterated their intent to eventually pass this and other legislation, in fact, to repeal all legislation that restricts abortion. As you know, hopefully, the bill died in committee. Some people have naively surmised that perhaps there was a change of heart once the details of the bill became public. There was one co-sponsor of the bill who retracted, uh, expressed regret, Uh, at the ramifications of such possible legislation. But the sponsor of the bill said that she was surprised that there was such a reaction because this this bill is introduced year after year. She should express that much more understandable surprise when um, in, in the state of New York, the legislation is passed and and, and it seems that everyone uh, celebrates, the governor, the legislators, cities in, like Manhattan de- decorate their, their buildings to celebrate this legislation. There seem to be no public consequences. 
Fortunately, that same delegate who had intended to hold a town meeting yesterday had to cancel that meeting. Many of you were there, some of you at least. And so the pro-life rally that was planned that prompted the canceling of the town hall meeting took place, fortunately. But that can't in any way be considered a victory. It shouldn't even be considered a milestone. Because unless the people who introduce and support this legislation and continue to support this kind of atrocity, unless they pay personal uh, consequences professionally and publicly, they are only going to be encouraged that one day they'll succeed, and probably next year, unless something drastic happens. The governor of New York, a Catholic, baptized Catholic, rejected criticism of his actions by saying he's not there to, to legislate religion. <clears throat> and that can, that, that can be met with you know, one of several responses. One is that, uh, granted, because it seems as though we're living among the, the Aztec and the Maya and the Inca and the Greek and the Romans of ancient times, <clears throat> that <clears throat> um, we should acknowledge that Religion, which is telling us not to kill our infants, also tells us not to kill each other and tells us not to enslave people. <clears throat> so we should be very deliberate and acknowledge the things that we do because of religion. And if we're going to eliminate, eradicate religion from, uh, from the U.S. code and from state law, then it should be done completely. And so murder should be legal if we're going to get rid of religion. Obviously, the other response is, is to reiterate that natural law is written on every human heart. It can be known by the rational mind. And we're not, we're, we're not legislating religion. We're, we're, we're just simply being human. Infanticide is, is that kind of issue where these people should relentlessly be driven out of uh, their public life. If, if we can't be confident in denouncing something like the murder of newborn babies without apology, regardless of who befriends us or who doesn't. How, how do we ever begin to imagine that we will profess the faith and evangelize the world? That's preposterous. As you know, the church has <clears throat> its own version of this um, uh, removal of people from public life or ostracizing them, as it were, excommunication. It's entirely possible for someone to be excommunicated privately um, and for the public not to be notified of that. It's entirely possible, and one needs to factor that into their assessment of what penalties have been doled out and what have not been doled out. <clears throat> the public punishment of members of the church is something that has its own rationale. St. Paul explains it to St. Timothy when he details how an accusation against a priest should not be taken seriously unless there are witnesses. 
And then goes on to say that if the priest persists in his sin, he ought to be punished publicly so that the others may be afraid. Right? So the public punishment of, of the guilty priest isn't necessarily to get him to come and change back. It's not medicinal for him as much as it's medicinal for the others to warn them that there are consequences for doing this type of thing. Not only public shame, but uh, other forces are at play. It's also beneficial for the ones who uh, have not transgressed to encourage the faithful. It also makes the act of punishment corporate so that instead of it being simply a private matter between that bishop, in this case Timothy, um, St. Timothy in the epistles, um, but it's rather all of the presbyterate with their bishop stand uh, in public condemnation of the one whose punishment is public, not just a private matter that can even serve to potentially um, uh, draw that figure who's guilty into a kind of fondness for the bishop who's um, supposed to be governing him. Now, the governor did make some apologies and then retractions and then further apologies uh, yesterday, the day before, which really do deserve extended commentary. All I can say for now is that they made him sound like a really bad, corrupt bishop. And it gives me no pleasure to say that. Not every bishop is bad and corrupt. But our governor yesterday um, did not realize that every word he spoke made him sound worse and worse. Um, surely, it will, I have no doubt at all that it will be fodder for Saturday Night Live. And Saturday Night was not live yesterday. They don't do a live show every week. So um, let's see what shows up on YouTube uh, seven days from now. But uh, a separate matter and a, um, and a sad chapter. This is a time for confession. Uh, and as you know, confession does not just simply mean acknowledging your sin and expressing regret and asking for forgiveness. To confess the faith is to profess it under duress, under persecution, paying the price, right? The great confessors of the church are honored in the litany just after the great martyrs of the church, right? And martyrdom can only happen once because you're dead only once, right? You're You're either alive or you're dead. So once you're a martyr, you can't, you know, you understand. But a confessor is one who repeatedly, consistently professes the faith and suffers for it. Right? St. Basil, the confessor. St. Maximus, the confessor. St. Edward, the confessor, is the one where we know best in the Western world, King of England. And what does the world need to hear? What do we confess? What will get us into trouble? Well, it will get us into trouble when we iterate, as was to the Romans, that our laws are good. 
And the fulfillment of our laws is love. We do not have random rules and commandments to satisfy the idiosyncrasies of the legislator, but rather the, the one who loves perfectly is the one who fulfills our laws. The commandments aren't just simply different uh, types of uh, forbidden actions, but they simply identify if you love, truly love and respect and honor God, you will worship him, honor him, keep holy his name. If you truly love and honor your neighbors, all of them, right, you'll honor their life, their physical life, their married life, their property, right, their desire to know the truth and to um, be able to pursue their own, their own lives. The, 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 these laws and commandments aren't random. It's just simply love. It's the specifics of love. And yes, that means not killing the newborn innocent, not killing the unborn for that matter. And, and we won't say that to, to, to try to push people away from us. But when we acknowledge that, that, that love has not been someone's experience, or when love hasn't been what they have done, then the same message is, is, is the gospel of mercy and forgiveness, which will infuriate them all the more to imply that what they've done um, begs for confession, mercy, forgiveness, healing. But that really is the good news. That the hurt that you experience can be can be healed by God's mercy if you're willing to if you're willing to face it if you're willing to admit it and and it's not as though all the hurt will go away immediately but it will begin to go away It's, it's extraordinarily important for us to remind those who, unlike the little ones who feel like the, the harm they've done is repaired instantly, who know that no matter what they do and no matter how holy they become, there will be things that cannot be won back. There are things that have been lost permanently. They especially need to be reminded that they aren't forsaken. Even Cain was marked by God so that Cain would not be subject to anyone's vengeance. That's true of all of us. Everything we've done, everything we've chosen means that there are some things that didn't happen. And sometimes the consequences of that are lifelong. But we're, we're never beyond God's providence. We're never beyond belonging to him.
And so the Lord asks us, why are you fearful? O ye of little faith. Now is the time not just to acknowledge that Christ is Lord, who commands the sea and the sky, but to profess that he, he died and he rose for our sins and the sins of others. And that, and that those who, who have done the worst things that much more need to know about the mercy of God. They need to know that they need the mercy of God and they need to know that the mercy of God awaits them as it does us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.